pandas? Who doesn't like pandas? Have you ever seen a panda? Yes. Where? China. You saw an actual Chinese panda in China. I couldn't speak w- with certainty that it's, it was Chinese, but it was a panda in China. <laughs> who knows where the panda came from? Maybe it came who from. Can say, who can say? Maybe the panda was visiting from another country. Don't make assumptions about the ethnicity of the panda, for God's sake. I don't know. It was it had a backpack and a passport. It could have been from another country, for all I know. It could have been absolutely, absolutely. They yeah. are insanely, ridiculously fun and cute and adorable. Like they're this, they just they just layer. They can't move. Like they they. Right. They're not built to move. They just lay around and eat food all the time. That's all. No, they do. And they're like, have you seen those video clips? There's a bunch of these of like different, like pandas, like falling out of trees, pandas yes. rolling down hills. Right? Yes. Like they just, they, they just, just they bounce. just, they're just, they're just a second away from falling over at any given moment. <laughs> any given moment. One would say it's pandemonium. Say oh. what? That is. Yeah. Clever, man. right? Clever. Of all. Wow, that was good. That's pretty good. That's that's the best thing I've heard in a long time. Welcome to When Dust Podcast, everybody. <laughs> oh, man. As you may or may not have guessed, today we are talking about the Times' fourth <laughs> album titled Pandemonium, not related to the animal in any way. It wasn't recorded in China, as for all we know. As far as we know, it was not recorded in China, as yes. far as we know. The research team has not come back with any evidence that that's true. That's right. <laughs> that's right yeah um ed thoughts any recollections on on when this came out uh another album not unlike ice cream castle related to a prince film it's true yeah i mean i do recall this bad boy coming out and i probably unfairly was so excited about the whole graffiti bridge projects i'm like it's per- it, listen this is gonna be like a purple rain takeover again right we're gonna have a new prince album there's supposed to be a new time album oh my god there's gonna be right. so much music like i'm so excited and, and listen i'm gonna be very honest with you when the time broke up or they weren't recording again and morris went went solo and jesse went solo i certainly bought all those solo albums and i bought some of the you know janet jackson jimmy jam sure you did terry lewis produced albums as well I wasn't like, oh, man. By the way, can I interject really quickly to say yeah. Jan Jackson's coming on tour this summer. Should we go see her? Probably. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about should, it. We probably right? We'll should. talk about that later. Okay. So I wasn't, don't get mad at me, fans. I wasn't missing the time. I wasn't like, man, I wish the time was together. Like, I honestly yeah. wasn't thinking about that. There was so much music coming out from Prince's camp. And associated acts through Andre Simone, through the family, through Jesse Johnson solo. We'll get to Sheila E. shortly and about her stuff. Like, so I wasn't that worried about it, but I was excited when it was announced they were going to reunite. It was going to be the original lineup. Like we were going to have at this point, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are superstars, given the work they've done with Janet Jackson. Jesse's had a pretty successful solo career with a couple albums. And one of his releases is probably my favorite, one of my favorite associated prince acts ever i mean prince didn't write the material per se but his um shockadelica album yeah you've talked about that yeah yeah because prince writes shockadelica the song inspired by the name of the the title of the album so anyway so they're doing well so the the idea that all these kind of superstars were going to get back together and put an album out was exciting to me i was very pumped about it yes yeah yeah absolutely 
I don't blame you. I will be honest with you and say that in 1990, um, the time was not on my radar in any capacity at all. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, And while I remember the graffiti bridge, uh, you know, album and the film coming out, this did, this was not on my radar. Pandemonium was not on my radar in any way. So I didn't really have any knowledge of this record until coming to it to, to review it now. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and honestly, well, I mean, this might be saying a bit going back to it now. I mean, I, I'm showing my cards here a little bit. I didn't listen to it all that much once I got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll see how you felt about it when you listen to it. Yeah. And I certainly had, some memory come back about some of the tracks once I did the the re-listen here for the pod. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, with that being said, let's get into some facts and figures. What time is it, Jared? I'll tell you what time it is. It's time for those facts and figures on Pandemonium. Do it, do it, do it. Here we go. Pandemonium came out on July 10th, 1990. It was recorded. Uh, some of these songs were recorded quite early, as we know, from 1981 to 1990. So there's a whole big s- stretch in there. Yep. Uh, it was recorded in Paisley Park uh, and Chanahassen. And the entire length, the longest time album by double. Oh, my God. By far. Yes. By far. It's 65 minutes and 12 seconds. And the producers are Prince and the time. Mm. Uh, unlike the band's three previous Albums, Pandemonium does have performances and contributions from the actual members of the time. Absolutely. There are a total of five Prince songs on this record, plus four others, which they co-wrote. Yeah. Uh, so they, they're contributing all over the place on this record. Um, Ed, there are two singles. Do you know what they are? I do. Tell me. Uh, Jerk Out. Yes. Chocolat. Correct. Jerk Out did reach number one on the R&B chart and nine on the pop chart. Yep. Good. And Chocolate got to 44 on the R&B chart. Yeah. Very good. So we got a few reviews here. Hey, this- before we go into reviews, you want to hear a little bit about um, the album that was go- was being developed before we got to Pandemonium by the or time? World. Yeah, you want to talk about it? Or did you have some of that for yourself? I don't have any of that because I, I wasn't sure if it was really under the purview of this today. But talk about it. Speak I think, it, I think it is because this some of the tracks from that. I from that idea of the album made it onto Pandemonium are probably the four tracks you're or the five tracks you're mentioning. So speak on it, son. Speak on it. Yeah, let me talk about it. So this was recorded in '89, and it was going to be just a Morris Day Prince project, like the old school time albums were, right? Mostly print, primarily Prince with some Morris input. That was the idea. Um, the title track for Corporate World. I've not, I haven't heard a lot of these tracks. I'll have to dig around and see if I can I come up with some of these tracks. Ricky Freeze. Ricky Free Smith was the one who performed the the title track Corporate World. It was submitted. The actual finished album was submitted to Warner's. It was planned for release in November of 89. And Warner's stopped the release. They stopped the release. And I can I can understand why in some ways. They're saying to Prince, I'm imagining. You're releasing this album with Morris Day and other folks. Great. Wouldn't it be better given how how the superstardom of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, the success of Jesse Johnson, get the original band together. Yeah. Get the original band together and allow them. This is interesting because I, I I can only imagine these conversations, how these conversations went with Prince and Warners. They wanted Prince purposely to allow the band to have input to the music. Right. And, and I could only say and imagine that their thought thinking was, holy shit, 
Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have already, I mean, at this point in 1990, they probably have had five different sing- number one singles that they produced at this point. Maybe by Jan- with Janet Jackson alone, if not some others. Totally. So they're thinking, ching, 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 let's get Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis involved, at least at a minimum, to get their kind of magic infused into the project that maybe, oh my God, maybe we'll have some monster hits. So there was a meeting, just to talk about, there was a meeting with Prince, the original Time members. Jesse, Monty Moore, Terry Lewis, Jimmy Jam, they began contributing some songs and they started revising some of the songs that end up on Pandemonium, like Chocolate and Jerk Out. So that becomes Pandemonium. So there you go. And what's interesting, too, is to think about this full project. As you recall, Jared, in the Graffiti Bridge side of things, there's a couple tracks on that album that are time tracks, or at least like you got you got um, Release It. Shake, uh, Latest Fashion. I feel like I'm missing one song maybe from there. But you also have tracks from The Time, performed by The Time, on Prince's soundtrack, along with this fully realized Pandemonium album. So there's a lot of Time material coming out all at one time. Right. It's fascinating, actually. It is. Yeah. I mean, I it's fascinating to me that Prince kind of allowed Warners to say, Hey, we want the original members back. Yeah, yeah. If you absolutely. want this to happen, if you want a, a time release, you got to do that, and then we'll release that. We'll release that time album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting, and and you're just curious too when you think about the whole relationship of Warner Brothers to the Prince universe. You know, like that's yeah. just it's just interesting. Well, Ed, thanks for that. All that insight into corporate world. There are bootlegs of that out there in the world, right? Of corporate world, like we can find it. Probably. I mean, you know, we don't promote bootlegs, but hey, they probably, you can probably find them out there. I have not heard some of these tracks, Nine Lives or some others that are mentioned here. I have not heard them. So I would be curious. It's interesting that I hear, I see here too that Dream Factory, which is a great Prince unreleased track, that song was considered for uh, corporate world as well, which was interesting. Um, so anyway, there's a bunch out there. I'm sure you can find it if you dig, dig hard enough. I'm sure that's true. Well, I did find, um, a couple of reviews, um, for pandemonium. I I thought it would be a little easier to find them for this one, but it was a little tricky actually. Um, I'm surprised too. I would have thought this was a pretty big release. I thought, I know, I know. I, I I don't know why it was so hard to track them down. Now, the first one I'm going to read, this is a little frustrating, it's just from the Wikipedia entry. And the reason why this is frustrating, it was it's from a magazine called Select. Select was a UK British magazine, which no longer is published. And I tried to find the full review to no avail. I could I couldn't track it down. So hmm. I'm I this first review I'm gonna read is a an excerpt that's on the Wikipedia page, which just feels a little cheap, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So here's what Select Magazine said. They said, quote, the author's name was Michelle Kirsch. She said this, quote, the song's obsessions with sex, food, and time screen concept, but only in a fun, sexy, black exploitation movie soundtrack kind of way. Lots of background jive talk, chat up lines, and bogus off-take comments make you feel like you're gatecrashing a party at the point where everyone pairs off to go his or her to her, his or her place. The bastard sons of George Clinton take a bow. Four out of five stars. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Now, here we have from our friends at Goldie's, because Goldie's. Goldie's. They gave it four and a half stars. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So here's what Goldie's had to say. Quote, 
The time were the band who could closest rival Prince. Little wonder Prince felt them looming over his shoulder, yet he still plied the project with great material. After their four-year split, the band was reunited for its fourth and final album, Pandemonium. Unlike their previous albums, which carried no fewer than nine songs apiece, Pandemonium was by far their longest and most varied, and it showed they still had plenty to offer left in the tank, as this album keeps relentless pace. Opening with Morris Awakened from His Dream, the album launches into the fantastic thumping title track, the time meet the 90s in characteristic form, despite Prince's paring down his involvement to just six of the album's 15 tracks, including the singles Jerk Out and Chocolate. It is the slowed down Donald Trump black version and Sometimes I Get Lonely that end Prince's best side projects run on brilliant form. Really? Yes. Okay. We'll we'll talk about that. So this was a website that really, it's not so much an official reviewer as it is. It it seems like it's some dude's blog about Prince, but you know, whatever. Beggars can't be choosers. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is called a pop life. And if you're out there listening, I'm sorry I don't mention your name. Pop life. Thanks for throwing this up here. You go pop life. He says this, one of my favorite albums of all time. Really? This album swings, rocks, and gives me joy. It really lightens my mood. The songs without Prince input are just as good as the ones that do have that input. Hmm. Jesse Johnson has lots of room to display his guitar prowess. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis utilize their production skills on their songs. Nonetheless, the album feels like one piece of art and has a perfect flow. The Prince songs are all top-notch, particularly Jerk Out, one of the most funky songs ever recorded, hmm. and Chocolate are uh, as among the best songs Prince ever wrote. Okay. Donald wow. Trump black version is especially now a funny addition. Hmm. Um, he follows up by saying this, the time we're very active in promoting the album, lots of shows were planned for television and on tour. However, discord within the band left, led to Jesse Johnson being voted out. Yep. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis then left because they preferred their time to their production work. Yep. And in early 1991, all promotion for the album ceased. Yep. Yet the Pandemonium sold more copies than the previous Time albums. Yeah, that's interesting to note that this was the best-selling Time album is Pandemonium. Yeah. And then uh, our last review, which I think is probably, given what you're saying to me, Edward, more in line maybe to how we're feeling about this record. Remember our old friends at Wilson and Alroy? Oh, yeah. You've brought them up before. Of course. Yeah, I have. So they gave this two and a half stars out of uh, out of five. Say, what was the score again? Two and a half out of five. OK. And they said this. Prince had written an album of songs for a time reunion when former members Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis decided to get involved. They shelved the album's best tune, Murph Drag. But together with Jesse Johnson, they came up with an even better song, the heavy metal scorcher Skillet. Chocolate okay. written by the, the uh, we're going to talk about that. Chocolate yeah. written by Prince during the sessions for Ice Cream Castles is also outstanding, but most of the other material, whether by Prince or by Morris Day and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, is second rate. Mm, okay. So there you have it. Now, and I wanted to ask you before we do the tracks, there are several of these tracks which are are just spoken word inter- interludes. Yeah, yeah. We can just sort of acknowledge them and move on, right? Yeah, I was doing combos. Like like when we start off, we'll do Dreamland and Pandemonium as, as like one track, kind of. Right, that works yeah. for me. So let's start off with that. So we're going to go from Dreamland into Pandemonium. For, folks, the first two tracks off of the title album, Pandemonium. It's an opportunity to bring some guys together that I love. I mean, they're like brothers, Steve. They really are. And they are the reason that I am here tonight. You know, a lot of groups split up. From all the excitement. Yeah. I don't like it anymore. I'm like, I'm hot. I 
Why, what do you think? Uh, I'm not even going to sort of give you a joke here. What What do you think of this intro into this opening track? We'll be back after a quick break. Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. It's, I find it really interesting because like Ice Cream Castle, we have this sort of rockabye, well, this one's like literally rockabye baby kind of sounding rockabye yeah. thing. However, however, it's, in, it's purposely off key. The right. notes hit a little off. Right. And then you got more snoring through it. And then there's this whole idea of the, the the Times reunion where they get together and they actually play. And I'll be mentioning this maybe in question question for you later in Minneapolis. And they actually this does happen. But like what again? What's this idea from? Is is Morris dreaming this whole thing? Is this a dream of the band yeah. getting back together? Maybe and maybe it's a little bit of a a little bit off because of the way. I just think it's interesting that he's using these sort of this rockabye baby with but with every the keys every so often being off like hitting an off note so it's making it seem like it's certainly not a perfect lullaby type of dream yeah and then it goes into basically part of the graffiti bridge which is waking morris up to get to the club so pandemonium if i'm remembering correctly you can you can correct me if i'm wrong jared i believe pandemonium was the name of the club that 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 morris owned I think so. I think that's in right. Graffiti yeah. Bridge. Yeah. So this is, again, I think a challenge I found challenging with the album. I don't think this album knows exactly what it wants to be. So like it starts with it's a, a nod to Graffiti Bridge and names checking the, the club pandemonium. So let's talk about that track a little bit. When it starts, dude, just put on Rhythm Nation 1812. Like, 18, like this 14. to me yeah. sounds like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis wrote and produced this track. Like, yeah. this sounds like Escapade. Yes. Like, it, it's like, it's almost the drum program is almost to a T Escapade. It, it, yeah. Well, I'll, yeah, keep going. I, I yeah, let me, let me go through it and yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll let you circle yeah. back about it. You know, it's, it's a, it's a nice guitar kind of guitars driven track um, in here. Um I do like the the call and response. I think is on point. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, this song's fine. Like I don't particularly like the song. It sounds like a Janet Jackson track to me. But the difference here, I'll make this point, where I think this doesn't work as well for for some reason is Morris's vocal is kind of lower in the mix and has a grittiness to it. Whereas I think the thing that made Janet's material so successful with the time was the combo of material like this, the drum programming, the arrangement, 
But Janet's vocal, I'm not saying Janet was a particularly awesome vocalist or is one, because she's not. I think she has limitations to her vocal, but her vocals are so bright. They kind of like shine through the material, whereas I don't think Morris has that feature to his vocal. It's just not there. So to me, like, this is an okay track. It's certainly not a, it's not like Ice Cream Castle, the opening track of the last album. It it, it makes me wonder, okay, am I going to be hearing a Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis production? Because that's kind of what I'm getting from this first track. It sounds very much like something out of the, you know, the same cloth of, as Control or Rhythm Nation. It's It's funny, like, I don't want to criticize it, for being a Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis sound. Yeah. But it's a Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis sound. I mean, there's no question about it. Right. Yeah, it, I mean, I guess to your point, maybe it it because of that, because it's so stamped in there the way they produce, then it doesn't sound like a time song. Right. It doesn't sound like a time song. Which yeah. which which is funny. To your point, that that's the irony of all this, right? Is that the the two members of the time who are their most prolific and accomplished songwriters write songs that don't sound like the time because Prince writes the songs for the time. Right. Right. And right. so it is a weird little double-edged sword of that. Um, you know, you, you can make the argument that it sounds like the Minneapolis sound and that's important and that's its own thing. And Prince yeah. is an architect of that, but so are Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis an architect of that. Yep. So it's, I don't know. It's funny. This song in particular, this opening track in particular lives in some weird little middle place because it's not just those drum programming. It's also that the way that bass sounds is very yeah Jackson control. It's very Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. Um, and it is a groove. I do think the rhythm of it is a groove, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's not to talk about the song a little bit more specifically. It also like it's not very sophisticated lyrically. It's about getting down on the dance floor, getting down in the bedroom. Right. Like that's what it is. That's fine. Great. Although I do think that that first chorus line of wild, chaotic, peak of my erotic is sort of like a that's kind of a decent rhyme to me. That's a mm -hmm. clever rhyme. Yeah. But um I do think I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. But it is definitely not a time song. It's a Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis song. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's let's move on to the next one. So, so our next tracks, we have sort of a segue that's called Sexy Socialites, which then moves into a track called Jerk Out. Making jerk food is better as at takeout or eat in. Which what's your what's your jerk out or jerk in? What, what's, oh, what's I think jerk out. I think jerk out. Take out. What yeah. was that? What was that great restaurant? Does that still exist over on um, just on broad? broad, broad. Yeah, broad and uh, broad and south. Right, it was on broad and south. Yeah, yeah. Jamaican yeah. jerk hut. It was called the Jamaican jerk hut. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. They had great. That chicken is awesome. That I like jerk spice a lot. I think it's, it's good. It's really good. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Is this a spicy little number, a little jerk out? You want to talk about sexy socialites? I mean, I feel like that's like a I not mean, much going on there. No, sexy socialites is just it's a twenty four second spoken word piece about girls seeing Morris and will he date her and like that's right. all. Then it leads right into jerk out. 
So this was this is a Prince song. This is a Prince tune. Yep. Uh, so he gave this to Maserati and then yep. shelved it uh, and held on to it for a while. I do think that that slick guitar riff is kind of a banger. I dig that the guitar riff quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, the verses are almost like a pseudo rap kind of sort yep. of. Yep. Actually, you know what it reminds me of, ironically? Uh, it reminds me of Blondie's Rapture, sort of. <laughs> there you go. You know, the sort of the flat, because because Morris isn't a rapper either. He's not an MC. He doesn't, that's not right. his. Um, the Terry bass solo, which isn't so much as a solo as it is like an isolation of his bass line. Yeah. It's kind of fun. I dig that a lot. And the guitar solo, I think that's Jesse Johnson on this guitar solo. Uh, no, it's got to be. It sounds. It very much sounds like Jesse Johnson. It sounds like Jesse. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty much a banger that solo. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. A family of blue people from the bright yellow planet take a fantabulous summer vacation trip all over the universe. Young Hayon gets kidnapped by giant rats. And the whole family almost gets danced to death in outer space, but they still manage to go to intergalactic beaches, county fairs, nightclubs, motels, and they go shopping. On the podcast, I'll read from my middle grade novel version, and I'll play songs from the album. So come here, Space Vacation, the musical, and remember, the universe is like a song. Now, I feel like I'm repeating myself after something I said on the last uh, record review. I think Jerk Out is a stupid title. I think Jerk Out is a dumb turn of phrase. But I like how this tune feels a lot. It's yeah. And it moves. And that alone, it can recommend it. It feels alive. It feels alive. And somehow, the Morris you know, spoken word bits at the end bother me less because his tongue is so clearly in cheek, right? It's so clearly yeah. in cheek. You know, it doesn't bother me as much. So I like yeah. Jerk Out. I'm, I'm here for it. What about you? No, I think this this deserved to be the hit it was at the yeah. time. It was a pretty big hit for them. Um, this was the first single, so it was great. Yeah, I mean, there's Prince, Prince's stamped all over this. Like you said, I mean, this was a song, like you were saying, it was even considered for um, an earlier time album. Didn't get there, went to Maserati. Um, there were some... Apparently, some of the original lyrics might have been a little rough. I'm not. I'm curious almost to see them based on some of the stuff I was reading. Um, and it sounds like this was reworked for Pandemonium with with input from people like Jesse and and Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, people like that as well. I think the the drum programming is, is fantastic. It's like an easy kind of like groovy kind of subtle um, programming, which I think is which is I think works very effectively. Wonderful rhythm guitar in here. Really interesting keyboard swells that kind of work and kind of float and ebb and flow through the track. I think the chorus is is very, very catchy. I, to your point, I like the rap and that it's not really a rap so much as sort of like spoken word with sort of people singing kind of the the rap part over top of Morris's speaking it, which I think actually works really nicely. The song's, you know, the song's on brand. Like this is... Not surprisingly, right? Because this was written back in the early 80s for the sole purpose of being a time song. So this is about the guys going in and they're just going to grab any girl they want because they're right. the coolest cats in town and right. they're going to jerk them out of the bar. Um, and supposedly there was some this was somewhat influenced about the, the time getting kicked off, getting jerked out of a plane during the 1999 uh -huh. tour because they were being disruptive for some reason. So I'd love to hear the full story. If anyone knows that, please share. Um 
I think there's some some like you said, there's a little nice break. It's just an isolation for Terry doing the bass line, which is great. Jesse, I did. I put a question mark by Jesse's ripping guitar solo, but I'm pretty sure that's Jesse just by the sound of it. And I love the I love the fellas breakdown where they just start doing the the chant, make a little love tonight. I'll do yeah. that jerking everything in sight. It's great. It's a great, great track. It deserved to be a hit. And um always love hearing that early 80s Prince funk. I think it's always pretty solid, uh, pretty assuredly sh- going to like it from, according to my ears anyway. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's move on. So next we have another spoken word piece that's called Yant, which goes, Yant. Into, Yant, which goes Yant. into a track titled Blondie. Blondie. I just mentioned Blondie. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we've had much occasion to talk about that legendary New York band. Too little. Too little. What's your favorite Blondie track? Do you have a, do you have a fave? Dreaming. Oh, Dreaming. Oh, yeah. You like Dreaming? Dreaming. I love good. Dreaming. The drums in Dreaming are insane. Yeah. Yeah. That drummer is just pounding the shit, out of the, like nonstop yeah. out of the drums. Yeah. I love it. It's such a wonderful... Um, it's such a wonderful new wave track. Like I love it to death. I think it's fantastic. How about you? I, uh, that's a good question. I should have, I'm not as prepared for this as I should be. I'm, I keep thinking about Rapture cause I just mentioned it and I'll sure. say that I love Rapture, but when I was a kid, when that came out, I like that song scared me a little bit. Like that it was freaky. And the video was freaky too. The video was freaky. And I was freaked out about the alien that was eating cars and he yep. eats your head and then you're dead. And like, I'm like, yeah. what's going on here? It used to, and and also because Debbie Harry, you know, the rapture, it was like all serial and creepy. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening in this song? So yeah, it used to freak me out, but I love it, but I love it. Yeah, and good on her for, you know, name dropping Fab Five Freddy. You got to get totally, man. that right off totally. the bat, right? Totally. And that's good stuff. So what do you think about this? Speak on the spoken word bit and then talk to us about Blondie the track. Yeah, I mean, the yount thing is just a Jerome kind of going, yount. Yeah. And doing all the silliness around that. So it's very, again, what I would imagine those guys do. I have no sense of what they're talking about. I'm assuming they're talking about Robin Yount, the great Milwaukee brewer. And that's probably where that uh, that reference is coming from. So uh, tip the hat to Robin. He was a great shortstop. Always appreciate the work he did for the brewers. So uh, tip of the hat there. So yeah, Yount to me is just silliness. Um, just like Tricky, there's a track called Tricky out there in the world that was a B-side for one of their earlier tracks. Similar kind of just silliness kind of thing. Now, back to where we're talking about how this song maybe has different personalities. We had a Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis sounding kind of track. Now we have a very Prince sounding track. Now we're backed in my mind to a G- like Black Cat by Janet Jackson. Yeah. This is this is exactly what this sounds like to me. And with a, with a mix of probably a lot of Jesse influence, because it's such it's so guitar driven and Jesse just rips and tears this damn thing apart with his guitar. He's scorching through this whole thing like he's on fire through this whole thing. So 
this is the kind of song I typically don't like. I don't like Black Cat, for example, from Janet Jackson. I'm not a huge fan of that song. Yeah. I know it was a pretty big hit for her. So I'm not a big fan of this type of song. So I got I to gotta just call that out and say it's true. Um, I do like the outro where he says I need some horns. So he kind of he kind of throws that in there. So I think that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I think generally I think this kind of rocks. It took me a couple of listens to kind of get into it. But I don't love it, right? I'm I'm trying to find a way to love it. I don't particularly love it, and it's not because of the production. It's not because of whatever. It's just I don't like this kind of sound, this kind of this guitar-driven slice of Minneapolis sound. I'm not a humongous fan of. So, yeah. How about you? What did you think? Maybe you felt a little different. No, I don't. I don't. I I, I it feels you know what it feels like to me like a like a reworking or a reimagining of Bambi to me. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, the same kind of weirdly aggressive guitar tone. Yeah. I mean, lyrically, I think this is sort of interesting. You know, like the protagonist is warning some someone about a woman named Blondie saying, basically, she'll steal everything from you. But at the same time, he keeps calling her a dumb blonde and yeah. mind and disparaging and all this, which to me runs counter to the warning. So yeah. I guess, I, in my opinion, this is a bit of like bravado on the part of the protagonist to excuse the fact that he got robbed blind by blind. Oh, that's that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, that, that's that's how it plays to me. That's it, an interesting little bit of revelation there, I think. But I don't really enjoy this very much. Um, it, yeah. In that, this this guitar tone, much to your point, I mean, I actually sort of like Black Cat, but I don't like this. It it doesn't fall well on my ear. It just doesn't work for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a song I think we've been waiting to talk about for a long time. Uh, yeah, here we go. Next one is called, are you ready, folks, for our discussion of Donald Trump, Black Version? Can I rap to you, sugar, tonight? Donald Trump, Black Version. Maybe that's what you need. I think for various reasons, I'm going to forego any type of discussion and riffing off of this particular title. And maybe we just get right down and into it. What do you think of this song, Donald Trump, black version? Uh, Well, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I don't know what to say about Trump in this regard. I mean, the irony is a little sickening. And apparently, you know, this was a song that Prince wrote in 1989 and performed a lot of the instruments on it. Um, And it turns out, apparently, Prince, I should say rather, Donald Trump was a Prince fan. Okay. Attended a Welcome to America performance uh, in New York at Madison Square Garden. And um, also um, was uh, at a gig at Paisley Park, according to what I've read. Mm. Um, it's a story about you know an egotistical rich guy who buys and objectifies women. Essentially, is what it's about. Um, I don't know the the holding up of this ideal of who you think a wealthy, powerful man is, and then using that as a model. It's hard to distinguish that moment in time to this moment that we're in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. 
it's a story of a man basically trying to buy his way into the object of his affections heart, right? The music is sweeping and sort of like, like stereotypically romantic. There's strings, there's horns. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not really my taste, but it's not bad for what it is, I guess. Um, it occurs to me now that there could be something maybe funny about all this, that it's like, it, maybe it's a joke, you know, Donald Trump black version. Maybe it, it could be a joke of some sort, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, and it sure isn't funny today. So I don't know. I, I, I hate to be dancing around this. I don't want to say something that's going to upset anybody or offend anyone. Um, unless you think it's okay to say it. No, I think, listen, I played it backwards, and at one point it went 45. So, like, it predicted his presidency. Like, Prince's guys, we know Prince was, for all all his many geniuses, he also could predict the future. And then at one point during the one solo, you hear it go, beware January 6th. It happens, like, at one of the points. So it's kind of cool. Like, you know, Prince, I didn't think Prince had that kind of could see into the future, but he could see it. Um I really hate this song, and I don't think it has anything to do with Donald Trump per se. I, I think first of first and foremost, the whole idea of the song to me, and maybe I'm misinterpreting the t the track, is so off brand. Yeah, for the time and Morris Day. What basically for what I got from this track, and I think it's insanity that this is then sequenced after Blondie, where we're just hearing about a, a, a woman who basically is only after money but has no smarts. And now this follow-up track is this scorcher ballad that's about, hey, maybe you need someone like Donald, a, Toronto, a black version of Donald Trump who can just give you everything you need and that's what you need and make it like a romantic ballad. Like to me, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I and the song annoys me, frankly. I just feel like it just doesn't belong like this. This type of song doesn't belong on a time album. I just, I don't know what Prince was trying to get. This is a Prince written track. So I, Maybe I'm missing something here. And, and I feel like it's like it's like the other ballads, save if the kid can't make you come, like the other ballads we heard on the first two albums, which are like very decently put together R&B scorchers, Quiet Storm kind of candidates, works fine, um, but it's nothing that stands out. I The sax sounds incredibly dated, but, you know. Candy, we love you, but I just feel like the sax sound here is so cliched 80s, and we're at 90, 1990 at this point. The sax sounds like back Careless Whisper 84, 83, 85, or whatever. It sounds dated from the time I remember the first time I heard this track. And I also don't like the gospel backing vocals because to me it doesn't it makes it doesn't sound like a time track anymore. Yeah. Again, it's yep. like I this sounds like nothing like from the time. I just feel like all the, the lyrics, everything goes, it gets everything about the song goes against what the time purports itself to be as a group, as an idea. It makes no sense. I do not. I actively don't like this track. Right. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. Let's move on to track number eight. This is titled Chocolate. <laughs> Have you seen that movie Chocolat? You know, I never have. I've never seen Chocolat. Yeah. 
What was it about? Chocolate. No. Johnny Depp, wasn't it? Anyway. Was Johnny great. Depp in Chocolat? Wasn't it a French yeah. movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. He used to live in France, Johnny, for a while. I thought you going to say he lived in Hershey because of chocolate, but it's a shame. Mm. What do you make of this chocolate? <laughs> it's a tasty little chocolate. This is a good yeah. one. I wrote My Lord. Killer bass and rhythm guitar right off the bat. Yep, this, I agree. I, I had the same thing. Yeah. This this track, I I listen, this is a track I commonly go back to when I want to jam. Yeah. Because this is just undeniably funky. This is so, yeah. so funky. The lyrics are funny. The whole thing with the Tootsie Roll. Like that's just silliness, but it's it's funny. This is this is on brand as compared to say the last track we just talked about. That little guitar solo I love, and I have to say I learned something. This is why I love doing these pods with you, Jared. I had always given Jesse credit for that guitar solo. Purportedly, you know who it is? Who? Wendy. Is that Wendy doing that? According to what I saw online, the the this was originally recorded back in the Revolution era with Wendy and Lisa's involvement. He never took their their contributions out, but never credited them either. So that solo, supposedly a Wendy solo, which to me sounds nothing like a Wendy solo, but it sounds like a Jesse solo. But that's what I saw online. So I believe everything I see. I mean, well, here's the thing. Not that we need to dive real deep in this. I mean, it sounds the again, the tone is precisely the same as the tone on the solo. If the kid can't make you come. Yeah, let me just see her. I mean, it could, I mean, maybe it's Wendy. I don't know. Here, this is. I'm, I'm reading this directly from from the from the web here. Ba- basic tracking for this one for Chocolate took place on April seventeenth, nineteen eighty three, at Sunset Sound. Um, right after the day after the Kid Cat Make You Come, and the day before uh, they started doing some other tracks like Velvet Kitty Cat. Anyway, the track features Wendy Melvoin and Lisa Coleman, but they are not credited on the released version, despite their contributions remaining intact. Okay. Does does the does the album give Jesse guitar credits for um chocolate? The song? I didn't see any credits. Let me look here real quick. Let me just scroll down. It says here, according to this this resource, Jesse Johnson was credited for guitar and backing vocals, but was not actually involved in the recording of the track. Okay then. How about that? Uh, Wendy did guitar and Lisa did background vocals. But we're we're not credited. That. Is that crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I mean, I'll just say now we're back on the funk train uh, to your point. Yeah. And let's go with that bass. Let's go with that scratching kitchen scratch riff. It's so good. The groove is so good. It sort of doesn't matter what the song is about and it could go on forever, which it kind of does at seven minutes, 30 seconds. I mean, this is pretty long. It's an unsubtle story about a dude frustrated that his girl won't give it up after fancy dinners and claiming headaches (laughs) and all these things. But like, who cares? The music is a jam. The music is a jam. The bridge that starts around that 235 mark with the synths and the guitar push forward is is pure Prince all the way. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, and that solo that we now know Wendy solo is is short and slick, and I dig it. Yeah, I love it. It's one of my faves. It's one of my yeah. fave solos. Yeah, I absolutely. totally agree. I totally agree. All right, well, let's move on from there. What, what, before we move on, I just want to say this one thing, because I, I, I'll, I'll hopefully bring this back in when I talk about this album overall. I also under, think it's interesting that food becomes a thing now with the time, right? Like this idea of him eating eating dinner sometimes is maybe out, out uh, is, is, is a bigger importance to him than even getting with a gal at this point. 
which I think is interesting. They introduce this idea. He also starts introducing this idea that um, he's too old, like he's getting older, which I think is interesting given where we are, what, seven years into this idea of the band, like we're in 1990. And how do you handle the aging of players? These guys are players. And that's according to their characters, right? So how do you deal with that? And I think it's interesting that they he that Morris jokes about being old or being older as part of like a joke or an ongoing joke with him trying to work through this um, character of Morris Day. So I'll bring this up again as we do the wrap up. But I, I know it's mentioned or at least that idea is played with here in Chocolate. All right, let's move on. So the next track, we're going to do a combo again. There's a little bit of a segue here called Cooking Class that then moves into a track called Skillet. If you were to pick your favorite skill that you have, what would it be? You know what? I'm a very good here. here here's here's a skill. I don't know if it's a skill. Or it's a secret superpower I have. Have I ever talked to you about this? I think you have. Yeah. When I step on a train platform, whether it's a subway or an Amtrak train or a regional rail or whatever it is, a, a train, I step on the platform, and I always seem all. I shouldn't say always, but it's almost always. Pick the spot where the doors open on the train. Wow. It's like a weird little superpower that I have. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty like it's a low, obviously it's a low level power. No, I think that's pretty, I can come in handy in certain, in certain but it's, it's certain definitely areas. come in handy for me on many an occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar thing with buses where I can pick the location right when the bus is arriving that will splash me when it's wet. Outside, that's le- that's even less- when it's dry for some even weird reason. It's, even it, it's so strange how that if happens. It, if it's happened to me in Arizona and other desert areas. Very strange. <laughs> There's always a splash, regardless always where I am. Splash. Well, you make a splash everywhere you go, Edward. Uh, you're too sweet. Stop it. What do you think of? Is this song sweet? The cooking class skillet combo? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, this this is like this is like Blondie's brother. Right or cousin or something? It really is. Yeah, it it's really very is. sounds very similar to Blondie. I'm um, with you. And and it boils down to this for me. And Ed, tell me what you tell me what you make of this. Here's the thing: the time are a funk pop band. They are mm-hmm. not a rock and roll band. And actually, I wouldn't even call this music rock and roll. I would call it rock. And there's a difference between those things. There's a big difference between that. Yep. But either way. This sound, the sound of this track, the sound of Blondie, this is not who they are. Yeah. It's an ill-fitting suit. Yeah. And so I'm not digging this. I am not digging Skillet. Uh, I don't care how funny the lyrics might be, especially with the the little spoken word intros about a cooking class and like, okay, whatever. But this this does not work for me. It does not work for the time. I'm with you. That's what I that's all I got on this. I, I'm with you hard. three, three million percent, Jared. Listen, this is what what's earth shattering to me in this particular track, because the time for me. Is the very definition of cool. 
Yeah. There never was a cooler band that I was, that I was familiar with or followed in any way than the time. But when you hear a band that's cool, start a song by saying, we don't need no microwave. Like that's the start of the track. Yeah. That's the corniest line, dorkiest thing I could ever imagine someone saying like, that's supposed to sound cool or provocative or something. It just sounds like we're sitting in the kitchen. Like I, I just, it sounds so suburban and so blah. Like it just, yep. It almost detracts their whole coolness in that one statement. So I've said some of like Donald Trump black versions off brand. This is another one that's like this doesn't sound like a time song in various ways. The way the lyricals, the lyrics work. To your point, this is just a hard drive driven rock song, guitar song. Jesse Johnson had put out a, I thought a pretty decent album two years before this release called every shade of love. It sounds a little bit like this. Yeah. So this is the thing. This is the challenge, right? When you allow these folks who have been, and we could talk about this, this could be its own podcast, but when you have folks who've come out against Prince had full control over the vision, the sound, the, 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 the whole idea of the time. Now we've opened the doors up and said, you guys can make contributions and add things to it. Well, now you're now, now it doesn't sound like the time anymore. It sounds like various pieces of different things that don't quite fit together. And this skillet is exhibit a of that. To your point, it sounds like Blondie. Yep. They love the cowbell use. Lots of cowbell going on here. I'm just not feeling this at all. The chorus to me is ug and meh. Yep. There's just nothing exciting or interesting about the, the chorus at all. The one thing that was a surprise to me, and I'm necessarily saying, not necessarily saying it was a great thing, I was not expecting a Jimmy Jam organ solo in the middle. Yes. But, to, yeah. to, but maybe further to my point, this is where I think the songs don't sound, they don't sound right together. It doesn't sound like, I mean, it was an interesting choice. I wasn't expecting it, but it wasn't like I he, we switched to so organ and I was like, oh, this is jamming. It just was like, well, that was a weird, interesting choice. It doesn't sound like it fits. Just like this song doesn't sound like it fits on a time album. Right. Jesse's tearing it up as you would expect because it's that. I mean, even the chance, I was even noticing this, and maybe you know, I was getting too too hyper aware of 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 trying to validate my own theory about these track some of these songs. Even the chance they say, like too many cooks in the kitchen, whatever, it doesn't even sound like the group. It sounds like Prince went out and got a generic group of guys to chant. Like there's no personality to even the I, chanting. I agree. Yeah, I agree. That it's like this could be anybody. This could be yes. any five guys saying this stuff. Whereas the other ones, it sounded, I don't know, I can't even pinpoint why, but it sounded like the time. There was a personality to the way that they chanted. This even sounds manufactured. So I totally agree. Yeah. I'm with you. The skillet? No. Get this no. off the stove, mofos. No, no get, get it, it off, off the stove. stove. Let's move on to track number 11 on Pandemonium. This is titled It's Your World. Were you a fan of A Different World? 
Listen, I was in love with Lisa Bonet. Weren't we all, though? I mean, oh. we all were, right? I didn't take a poll, but I'm sure that's true. I'm positive that's true. How could that not be true? Just, God, I loved her to God. All, all time. And, and, like, it's funny when you, not that we need to make this the Lisa Bonet pod. I think her, we should, though. Her okay. career didn't really go. I mean, she did a couple of movies. She Angel did, Heart killed her career. Listen, Angel You think Heart Angel Heart killed her career? Is that what you think? Her. Yes. I think, I think for not for wrong reasons, but it killed her career. Yeah, maybe that's true. I loved her in that the, those few scenes in High Fidelity when she plays the chick hooking up with John Cusack. Which one's that? High Fidelity and High Fidelity. Oh, I don't even remember that part. Go back to it. Anyway, now she's divorced from Jason Momoa. You have a chance. You can get in there. Yeah. Let me reach out to her. She's not returning my calls, but yeah, she'll get I'm, to you. She'll get to I'm you. used to that by now. What do you think of this? It's your world. I find this really interesting. I think this is an interesting little track. I felt like it was a pleasant change from what we just heard in Skillet. It definitely is. I agree. Uh, the drum programming is really interesting. And that kind of ear weird kind of like raindrop sounding guitar riff like like something going down the drain like i just find it interesting i think the the foundation here is is a groove like it's kind of cool is it a time song it's closer to one i still think this is incredibly influenced by jimmy jam and terry lewis the production of it uh but i do think this is close to what i would expect um from a from a from a time song it's a little bit more leaning into the R&B side of things. So I like it for that, for that very reason. I do feel though, like I'm saying this could have fit even the content of it could have fit along with that. Those first several tracks on rhythm nation where Janet goes, quote unquote, goes political, right. Or whatever Um, that this very well could sit very comfortably in those strings of songs in the very beginning of the rhythm nation album. So I think it's a good change. I think it's a decent song. It's not my favorite song, probably, but I do think it's a decent track. I kind of like it, kind of dig it. What What did you think of it? Um, I don't know. I mean, it fits better. It fits better than Skillet. And I agree with you. There is something really fun about that descending little guitar riff on the verses. It's really charming. Um, it's a song about owning your place in the world and, and making it better. It's expressly political. And while that's not a bad thing, I will say this to echo something I just said about Skillet. I'm not sure that the time is a political band either. You know, yeah. I'm not sure that this is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this suit fits any better than the previous suit did. You know, it may be a little bit better, but yeah, it, it I don't know. It, it, I, I like it more than Skillet by a, by a country mile. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if this, I don't know if I'm being unfair. I, I need to think about this some more. But like this sort of this sort of political messaging coming out of Morris's mouth when he never does it any other time. Feel it just it does. I don't know. It feels a little clumsy or something to me. Well, I think you're hitting on what I think the challenge of the idea of the time is in 1990. Like, what do you yeah. do with a band that started out as sort of this R&B street vibe band that then morphed into this comedic player band. You, can you be a, a comedic player as you get into your late 30s? I'm not sure how old they were at this point, but like we're seven years down the road. Like what's this band do? Like how's and I think that's the challenge of this album, right? I don't think anyone knows how to how to 
you know, the classic Prince tracks are the what we think of the time. The times infusing the members and themselves are putting in different sounds for themselves that are clashing up against that and different content that's clashing up against it. And I think that's what makes this a very challenging album is it just, it, 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 it's hard to get a cohesive shape out of this album because of all these different ideas of what the band could or should be at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to, I'm going to shelve what I'm going to say for now. Cause I don't want to jump on overall thoughts. Okay, sure. Yeah. So why don't we, why don't we press forward? Cause I, I agree with you, but. Got yeah. Let's move on. So the next one is a little ballad called Sometimes I Get Lonely. I don't want to put you on the spot, but let's say in a year's worth of time, that's 365 days. I'm not going to get into the math of minutes and such, but how much of that time, percentage of time, are you not lonely? Well, anytime I'm with you, I'm not lonely. So there's a good, there's a good chunk of that time. <laughs> All right. That's fair. I'll take that answer. I appreciate yeah, yeah. it. What do you think about this little uh, track here? This little ballad? You know what? So this is a Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis song, clearly. And I... Maybe it's the best song on the record. Wow. Okay. Maybe hmm. it's it's a classic slow burn R and B ballad, and it it melts along like you want a ballad like this to do. There's a little little bit of bluesy guitar licks and solo piano notes banging throughout it. I don't think lyrically it's special. There's like a thousand versions of this song, but it's very very competent, and I mean that as a compliment. It's it's a very well made well-structured ballad yeah. that sounds like the time hmm. to do it. And so honestly, because of that, and also given where we just came from with songs that I don't think fit who they are. And to your point, and we'll talk about this later, who are the time? What is the time? Right. Right. This, this works for me. So it's, it's a little bit of a standout actually. Okay. Wow. I yeah. did not feel the same. Yeah. Um, which i get but do you get why i'm saying what i'm saying well it's interesting an interesting take on it because i actually wrote a note saying that because of how cleanly it was produced and how he's using the female vocal on the chorus i felt like it didn't sound like a times track oh that's interesting oh that's interesting oh and it yeah it's more in the production side like because i I get it i get what you're saying yeah, I, I, think, I just feel like in the earlier time albums, there's a little bit more of a rawness to how he produced the. Well, the sure, vocals. there was. Yes, this there is was. way more. This is to your point. If Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis wrote this and pretty much produced it in the studio, it's going to be slickly produced because that's what they were known that's for. That's what they did. That's what they did. That's what they did. That's why they were so successful. So, I mean, I love, I love the guitar tone in it. Um, I guess Jesse's playing this guitar. I'm pretty sure he is. It's sort of there's a lot of echo effect. There's a lot of space for the guitar in terms of how it's how it's being played. It sounds very much the tone of it sounds almost identical. There's a song called. Um, oh, God, what's it called from the Jesse Johnson album? Now I'm going to forget it. There's got to be a better way. If you guys can remember that track, we're fans of Jesse Johnson. Almost exact same guitar sound uh, from that song in this song. So I do dig it a lot. I think it's to your point. I think it's a very incredibly competent R and B slow jam. 
Yes, it's very competent. It's very competent. Yes. It has all the things you would want in a slow jam. It has the, the, the key changes you would expect in that slow jam. All of it's there. But again, it's so cleanly produced and so... I just, I don't, I honestly just don't feel like it sounds like a time song. Again, I'm not, don't want to say it's disparaging things about it because I think it's a very decent track. I still don't feel like it's like a time, time song. Well, this, again, this sort of goes into, I, I'll, I'll hold up because there's lots of things to say with the overall. Okay, so, let's know. move on. So let's go on to track number 13 here on Pandemonium. This is titled Databank. Trekkie, right? You're not a science fiction person. No, t- no, not no. Mm-mm. You like Data though, the, the character. Well, see, the, the, this is it. His name isn't Data. His name is Data. That tells you as much as you need to know about how much I follow it, right? Hey, Brian, that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. What do you think of this Data Bank? It, can I ask you a question? If 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 Data 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 if Data had a bunch of children, would be they be Data? They just be Datas, like. Because that's that's the plural of data is data. Is that right? What's a, is there a, what's a singular piece of data called or data called? Da, is it called datum? D a t u m. Is that Maybe. right? Maybe datum. Maybe looking I, it up with a research friends. Something in my brain says that this datum. I might be wrong about that. No, you're absolutely correct about datum. Datum is a single piece of information. There you go. So he should really be datum. He should be data and his children, a bunch of children would be data. Yeah. Or data or data. Fucking get it right, man. Have some respect. Wow. Respect for the truckies out there, but let's get back to it. What do you think of this track? This data bank? This was hard for me. So let me explain why. Okay. I am so familiar with the bootleg version of this track by Prince Mm. and the bootleg version. Again, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like to say we promote them. But I will say this: it's an absolute fucking delight. The data, the data <laughs> bank one, because it's this. The lyrics are similar, right? But the whole idea of the song is that Prince is trying to, in the moment of the recording of the track, trying to direct the band, and they don't listen to him. They keep they keep doing what he's telling them not to do, and he gets frustrated and eventually just says, "Susan, Susan Rogers, just faded out. I'm I'm done with this shit." It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious because he's like, the the horns are playing when he's telling them not to play, and he's like going crazy. He's like, "I want to hear Lisa play," and then someone else plays instead of Lisa, and he just starts going crazy. It's a fun, fun track, and it jams like it. It's a hard jam, whereas this is sort of like what Prince was doing with some material, which I've talked about in some of his studio albums, where he has this kind of raw version and then he kind of smooths it out, which is what I feel like he did here with that with Data Bank here on the Pandemonium album. It's there definitely the the foundations there that hold that funky digitize that thing is on from the original. Yeah, the lyrics are the same, but it's way more smoothed out. It's slowed down to be a little bit more of a, a burn R and B kind of slow groove, not like a slow song, but it's like, it's a little bit more down tempo. So yeah, I've had trouble trying to get into this. 
And then when he adds sax to it again, I'm like, no, why are you adding sax to this song? You don't need the sax in there. And I think the vocal, again, where the vocal's so playful in the Prince bootleg version, I feel like this vocal has no personality whatsoever for Morris. I feel like it's him with a group, like kind of a group supporting him vocal. And it's so kind of just evenly delivered. There's nothing, there's no personality at all to it. So I think there was a lot of potential in this track, but I don't think it lives up to its potential. I think it kind of unfortunately lands a little flat. I do like the line. This I always find this line kind of fun where he says, makes love, making love comes second to basketball. In other words, I don't, I don't wear tennis shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a Prince line. Prince loves his basketball. He does. So, so anyway, so yeah, I was a little bit excited. Well, I wouldn't have known back when I bought the album that there was even a bootleg of Prince. I found that many, many years later, but um, I'll have to share that with you at some point, Jared, because it is a, it's a burner, the the Prince version. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know, it's okay. The 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 echo on the big drum sound was really getting me. It's very much of the era, and that dates this song instantly for me. Um, I made note of that same line, too, about the dating basketball players. I mean, love I think that's funny. Um, I'm not sure on the whole how the lyrics match up to the title, you know, they don't really come together except for that little computery sound that you mentioned, that do-do-do sound during the chorus. I don't know. This one doesn't make a big impression on me, to be honest. So I'd like to hear that that scorching version you have, and, and maybe it'll change my mind on it. But right now, I'm kind of just like, eh. No, I think you're going to be a fan of the Prince version very much. All right. I'm sure a lot of folks out there would agree. So there you have it. You have it. Um, I guess we move on to the last track. So it's my summertime thing, and then it, it outros. What's the outro track? I don't have it. Pretty name. Little Women. Pretty Little Women. Pretty Little oh, right. Pretty Little Women. So that here we are, the final track of Pandemonium, My Summertime Thang. Jared, this is me forcing you to make a quick decision on a song that you haven't completely talked through, which is this one we're going to talk about. But which which is the better track, My Summertime Thang or Hot Thang? Hot Thang. All right. Let's then talk about this this summertime thing. Hot Thang. Yeah, this this works for me more, this song. It's light. It's breezy. It's got a funky little guitar riff. And Morris, I think, generally sounds pretty good on it. I really like the jazzy piano solo about two minutes in. That really falls nicely on my ear. That works for me. Uh, here is this thing, though, for, Ed, for me. And, you know, we talk about sequencing a lot. I don't know that this is the strongest song or sequence to end on, on the whole. I mean, it's totally pleasant. It's it's a, it's a totally pleasant. but And I don't regret it, you know, but it doesn't... I don't know that it works as a closer, which I also think speaks to maybe the incoherence of this particular project. Um, and as for the spoken little outro... I don't, I sort of don't care about it. You know, it's just, yeah. uh, don't care about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say this now, folks, you, you'll recall this song is exactly the same 
music as latest fashion off of graffiti bridge same exact track but but repurposed so that's kind of interesting right because my latest fashion sounds in terms of the lyrics and how Prince handles it is very different than this is a little breezy, airy thing. Like you mentioned, I think you described that well, Jared, I never particularly loved this song. However, I will say this back in 2015 at a place called Bonnaroo. Indeed. So a guy named D'Angelo, I heard of him came on stage. Yep. On one of those nights where Questlove does like, let's just grab a bunch of people randomly, do a jam. Yeah, they call it the Super Jam. Did the Super Jam with D'Angelo and his crew with Questlove. Well, Questlove's always in his crew, right? Because he plays the drums for D'Angelo pretty much. They played this fucking song, Jared. Of all the Prince songs or Prince material they could have thought of. Yeah. They played this and they played this for like 10 minutes straight. And it fucking jams. Yeah, I like, bet. Jams. And I, I was like... I would have never thought of this song at all, generally, like that D'Angelo picked this particular song to, to play. And it, it was pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. So I've become a fan of the song because of D'Angelo, frankly. Right. So hearing it here, I kind of dig it more because of that, because of really D'Angelo's use of the song. So th that's really that's really where my love comes from. Um, I'm even good with the sax in there. You know, the thing that gets a little weird when we're when we're using this dated material for a band that's been around now or supposed to be around for, you know, almost 10 years is, you know, is Morris really going to meet someone at the mall for a date? Like, this, like, can we right. change some of the lyrics so they don't sound like yeah. they're back in high school? Like, they're not really in high school anymore. They're well beyond that. So, right. you know, can we meet at the mall? Or I met this cutie at the mall. I just like I don't. I just don't believe you anymore, Mars, at this point. I know that's kind of splitting hairs maybe a little bit, but I just feel like got you got to make the, the, the group seem a little more, more realistic and, and updated. So Agreed. anyway, and then like you said, with the pretty little women thing, you know, it's it's a sound of Morris smashing the car, can't start the car. And then he basically sings Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. Yeah. And then there's coyotes in Kansas City. Sure. Out. Yeah. So what that means, what's supposed to mean, no idea. <laughs> no, no idea. I, I, I agree. Agree. No idea. So let's do this because we obviously have a lot to say in terms of our overall impressions of the record. So let's just go to our categories real quick. What's your favorite song on this record? Chocolate. Mine's Sometimes I Get Lonely. Wow. wow. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Least favorite? Donald Trump Black version. Mine is Skillet Blondie. That's a tie. Mm. Yeah. Most interesting. It's your world. I went with a, another tie here, Donald Trump, because of, you know, reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Blondie, because of that lyrical double play mm. that I, I found. Even though I don't like it, I think that the double play is interesting. Um, best musical moment? Well, I got I to gotta update this because I wrote down Jesse's guitar solo. I wrote the same, I had the same thing. I wrote Jesse. So I'm I crossing off Jesse and putting Wendy in here. Wendy, Wendy's, Wendy's solo on chocolate. I agree. I agree. Wow. wow. Um, okay. Let's get into this. Overall, yeah. overall thoughts on this record, and then do you want to start, or should I start? It doesn't matter. Well, let me say, first of all, let me just say that this is the weakest time album on the whole, for sure, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I don't hate it by any means, but it's just not cohesive, and I think there are some obvious reasons for that. Um, I can't help but wonder maybe what could have been had the time done an entire album 
of Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis songs, you know, like if if Jimmy Jam and Terry hadn't been fired from the time back in the day, as they continue to evolve as songwriters, who knows, maybe they wouldn't have stayed in the time anyway, given the, I mean, they are without question, the most successful members of that group. I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah. Without no doubt. Yeah. There's no question. Um, You know, they're in the songwriters hall of fame, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yep. You know, so if the time had been allowed to continue to exist or if they had been able to keep themselves together and they had evolved with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis as songwriters with Jesse Johnson, they all could have been encouraging each other. I mean, I know this is a lot to ask. I'm doing a little pie in the sky kind of thing. But then I think part of the issue we're grappling with is that what is the identity of the time? Who are they? And we love them and we love Morris, but the fact of the matter is, is that we love the character of Morris Day, not necessarily the musician Morris Day or the musicians the time. Because for the vast majority of their discography, the time is really just Prince. So this leads to a kind of a tricky business, right? That the Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis songs, which you say, and I get it, don't sound like the time, aren't the time because the time were prints, right? It's this weird little circle that we're in. So how do we get out of it? I don't know that we do. The time in essence never had a real true identity as a band. I I think, do you think that's fair to say? And, and you know what I mean? Like their identity was Prince's, the identity that Prince bestowed yeah. upon them is what I'm saying. Well, that's, that is the truth. So yeah, pr- it yeah. Was, yeah. It was given them. That wasn't, that wasn't organically created. It wasn't organic. It wasn't organic. So I don't know. I think this could have been much better. I, I wish I could have heard a time album produced and written entirely by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I think that could have been something. So anyway, if I'm, if I'm going to give this my Prince symbol rating and then I'll let you go, I would, I'd give it two, maybe I'd give it two and a half print symbols for this. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's where I'm at. Ta- no, talk, I'm with you, dude. I, a lot of the same things. Like I, my first note here is, you know, the need, given the this break between Ice Cream Castle in 1984, and this is 1990. Yeah. That's a long period of time. That's six years. Music's changed a lot. Music changed a lot. Um, we're we're getting into New Jack Swing stuff happening, right? We talked about that. When we got to the Graf- Graffiti Bridge material. Hip hop is bigger hip-hop, than ever. Hip hop's coming in, all that stuff. So to your point, I'll try not to expand too much on it because I think you've, you've said it really well. Like the, the challenge here is like the band needs to, to reestablish its own identity. Correct. And how do you do it? There's too many conflicting thoughts and different ideas being brought in, I understand Warner's instinct to say, let's have the guys have a say, given how successful all these individual acts are. But sure. as you know, you could put a lot of superstars on a team. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a winning team, right? They're not going to win the title. Doesn't mean right. they're going to win So that, that can happen. Right. And I think you're hearing the clashing of those ideas. You have those Jimmy Jam, very, very Jimmy Jams and Terry Lewis sounding produced songs on this album. I think there's a couple songs like the Blondie Skillet that are very Jesse Johnson guitar oriented yeah. tracks, right? They just don't seem to fit together because so much effort was put into, and maybe you can curse the Purple Rain movie for this, the Morris Day character was the thing right. that really took off. And and that idea of this band. But what do you do, right? They're getting older. Um, are you, do you do you portray them as aging players who never kind of grow up and there's something lovable about that? Um, 
are they a maturing band and maybe they take more of a political stance, like on it's your world and they find right. their own voice in a different way and they start expressing right. that. Or is it back to Morris specifically? It's just Morris's focus as his character, but there's no choice made here. It's just a mishmash of a bunch of different things. So I don't know. Like it's, it's tricky. And I, and listen, I just think Donald Trump black version is a mess on this particular track. It's it's just it's just a tricky it was a tricky thing to navigate here and it sounds like you did have a bunch of people come with a bunch of different ideas and it doesn't sound like a cohesive cohesive album and there's also the first time where I almost aggressively hate a couple songs yeah yeah which is sad you to know, say but it's just yeah. the truth no no I hear you yeah so let me give it a rating then I'm going to come up with an, a different idea which I wish. Might have been. I just like to bounce this off and see what your thoughts are about maybe a different way to approach this time frame for both Prince and the time. But I ended up giving it two and three quarters. Okay, that so we were in the same ballpark. I, I just don't think this is a particularly strong album. Even the songs I really like, like Chocolate, I'll go back to a bunch of times. Jerk, I don't even listen to all that much. Yeah, the other tracks I just really don't listen to. Yeah, so there it is. You know, I was wondering, especially given the beginning of this and this like reunion tour that's mentioned with Donnie Simpson and, and all that in the front end with them doing their performance together. One end of the whole graffiti bridge, given what the concept of what graffiti bridge was, right? So he's trying to go back to again a battle of the bands. Yeah. But it was just really Prince versus the time. That was right. it came down to that. That's the final two pairing, right? Forget about right. These other acts, it's really those two. What if that project would have been more oriented around the idea of the two of them constructing individual live albums hmm. and had those paired up against the uh, each other and have that drive the narrative? Listen, I know that's not at all what Prince wanted to do. He was going very spiritual, as we know. We know Graffiti Bridge, most people agree, is a mess. There's a couple of defenders out there. There's not many. But if we got down to the core of it all, wouldn't have that been a more interesting project to hear these bands play, to hear this band play live on a, on an album than this studio material that you're hearing? Oh yes, Cer yes, certainly. If 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 it could have been a situation where we heard the time play live, I, I completely agree. Like, uh, what if there was? Listen, this is dreamy me. What if you go back in time and pitch to Prince and somehow convince him to say, "Do this like Let It Be for the Beatles." However. It's the two bands prepping for the big, big performance where they're going to square off against each other. And that's going to be the final product, right? You're going to yeah. have the bands playing against each other in a live setting with the audience and let that be the final document of the work. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all of these ideas are interesting and not not that we need to relitigate Graffiti Bridge, the film. And folks, if you haven't checked it out, we did review that film. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out, don't do it. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, part of the problem here is that, is that purple rain, the film project with the time is the real world and graffiti bridge is not graffiti bridge is a fantasy place, right? You know, no, it's not right. even, it, you know, it doesn't it, square. Yeah. I'm with it doesn't you. square. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit. So there's, so there's that, that's sort of neither here nor there, but that, that's also part of the mix. I think, you know, the issue the issue is that the time were were not an organically formed band. They were a creation of princes and Morris Day. You know, Morris right. Day was his buddy and he gave him a project. Okay, fine. They were not, as far as I know, they were not encouraged to write material 
even in the early days. Like that's not what they were doing. Yeah. And so they were never allowed to evolve naturally of their right. own accord, you know? Like I was thinking about this as I was doing research. Do you remember the movie Ed? Uh, I don't know if you ever would have seen it, but you remember all those like clerks and mall rats and all those movies? Yeah. The, last, yeah. the last one of those movies is called Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, right? Mm-hmm. That came out in 2001. And at the end of that film, there's a very strange and sort of non sequitur moment. It's the end when the credits roll, where Jay and Silent Bob come out and Jay says, now it's time for my favorite band, Morris Day in the Time, the best band in the world. Right, right. right. Okay, and then they come out and they play Jungle Love and, okay, awesome. But I was thinking about it as I watched that clip. Who says that the time is their favorite band? Nobody says that. We, I mean, we don't say that. We love, we love Morris Day. And right. we love the time. But right. nobody says, man, the time are my favorite band. Nobody yeah. says that because the time never had their own identity. That's true. You they know, are- they only exist in relation to Prince. And even, you know, and I, I think we talked about this at some point. I, I have Morris Day's memoir, you know, which he signed for me. And he was he was super cool to meet him. And I loved him. And he was awesome. But even his memoir is written as a conversation between him and Prince. That's what the entire memoir right. is. Right? right. They have no identity outside of Prince, which is, yeah. which is, uh, it's just, it is what it is. The, the, that's how it played out. Yeah. But the time were talented. And the fact that Prince became so threatened by their skill as a live band tells you that they had some game, but they were never allowed to, naturally pursue it on their own and and i'm not just i'm not blaming prince for that it's like he's part of it but like their own egos clearly got in the way and there was all kinds of issues there everybody wanted to be the star you know like there's all those no absolutely to your point i mean you mentioned like like they were heavily promoting this and it is surprising to hear this was the best-selling time album given the content but they promoted the shit out of this but in, in, in going through those promotional periods they were like I can't work with Jesse. Fuck this. Kick the kick Jesse out of the band. Yeah, kick Jesse out so, of the band. Right. Yeah. So to like yeah, the band probably could never have contained itself or sustained itself over a period of time, given how talented the the individuals were, right? So and, the, and this speaks to, and we're gonna keep talking about this throughout the, the first half of this season with all these sort of related projects. None of them can really exist outside of Prince's orbit. Like none of them, none of them continue to grow or flourish outside of that orbit. And there's a reason for that. That's not, that's not a mistake. That's not a coincidence. You know, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think that's true. I think it so, is, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me too. Like if you took like for me as who's, you know, super duper, or, I mean, we're both big Prince fans, but the, if you took from this album, chocolate jerk out and I'll even give you, cause you love the slow song. Um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I get lonely Keep those three tracks, add to those tracks, shake, release it, latest fashion, and uh, Love Machine, which are included on the Graffiti Bridge album. That's a pretty fucking solid album. That's a pretty good record. That's a pretty good record. And I wonder if part of the reason Prince made that weird... Comp, did that weird compilation approach to his soundtrack where it's just not Prince singing Prince songs was partly to say to Warner Brothers, okay, you don't want to allow me just to to, to do this time album on my own. Well, I'm going to pull four of the better tracks. Yeah. And I'm going to put them on my album. Yeah. And let's see how things go. Right. Yeah. I wonder because he yeah. could be that way a little bit. But like that's a pretty great album, a pretty solid album. 
Oh, there's no, I agree. If you I, include I the, well the songs that are on the Graffiti Bridge soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, all right. Well, folks, listen, this is obviously sort of a, a kind of complex issue. Yeah, love and to hear your thoughts, everybody. What are your thoughts, thoughts about, about, the time? about the time, the identity of the time, who they are, what they've done? But reach out to us about that. But it, that's okay. But for now, we have to dig you feel your will. Dig if you will the picture. Do you dig this picture? Jared, I want to tell you that this very well may be the worst album cover I've ever seen in my lifetime. 100%. It's I mean, it is the, the it is horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's embarrassing. Horrible it's like it's like if you I mean of course this is way before AI. If you AI created say make me a bad album cover that includes the idea of a skillet and food and the members of the band being fried, like yeah. this is what you would see. It's it's a horrible horrible album cover. Yes. Yes. It's really bad. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, you know what? Not that I want to deep dive too much into this, but just give me a second. The other album covers, you know, particularly the time and ice cream castle. Those are great album covers. I like those a lot, you know, yep. but when you think about what the word pandemonium means, do you know what pandemonium was? Tell, tell me about it. It, it it was according to Paradise Lost, Pandemonium was the capital of hell. Oh, how cool! How interesting! Okay, yeah. and that and that and then it, from there it became it, it grew to become like you know confusion and crazy and it's you know that's all nuts and we, oh my god it was Pandemonium like that's what we think of but like you think about that this isn't crazy or loose or it certainly is not the capital city of hell <laughs> you know like it's certainly no, not that. not at all not I mean, at all but like it, it just feel it feels like oh god it's dated and it's dumb and uh, yeah it's you know and you know what's funny like um well yeah there's demon inside that word it's a good call yeah. it so yeah. the um we talked about the graffiti bridge album cover i know you hated it i didn't hate it as much now I would say this style is inspired by because it's like it's just cutting it's like cut and paste images right across the different so you got three chicken wings <laughs> this is yeah. hard. it's embarrassing to talk through there's a knife a fork and a spoon I guess there's vegetable oil or olive oil probably veggie oil I don't know that's going to be poured onto a skillet the band members are standing on the skillet they're so small you can barely see them on an open fire with pandemonium kind of written in a very, I don't know what that uh, is that comic comic sans, or I don't know what the thing is. I don't know what it is, what but that it's, is. It's just, it's guys. If he, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's a really not a good album cover. It's, it's really bad. bad. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Oh, well, um, let us move on to the question, question for you. Hit us up with that question. Now, Jared, um, so you mentioned earlier that the um, Prince was going to give one of the songs to Maserati. Remember that? I Yes, I do remember that. So My Summertime Thang, which, of course, I became a big fan of because of D'Angelo. Yes. Angela Bonnaroo is playing this. Prince also offered this song to someone in his inner circle to use for an, for an album project. Name who that person is. And to give you extra 
maybe point you in the right direction. This person actually played at Bonnaroo with D'Angelo. Ooh, intriguing. Very intriguing indeed. All right, y'all. Hit us up with some answers to that question on uh, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can reach us at WhenDovesPodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. We would love to hear from you. Of course, as always, you will get some shout outs and get some love and respect from us. You always will. We love you. We do love you. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, and uh, that kind of wraps us up for this episode of When Doves Podcast. Um, as of right now, this particular moment, Ed and I aren't exactly sure what's coming up next. Oh, I know what's coming up next. What's I think we should up? probably just go in chronological order. So the next group that would be because the, the time on was the first in 81 was the first album of a, like a Prince. Right. The next one would be Vanity Six. So we should probably go back to 82 and do the Vanity Six album. Cause there's only one album from her. Then we'll move on to Sheila E after that. And then we'll, right. we'll move on to some other folks. And Vanity Six it is. And, uh, you know, folks, let us know how you're liking all the side projects. And if you're curious, yeah. about them, um, cause we think it's interesting. We love it. And I hope you love it too. We love it. We love it. We love it. <laughs> and we love you and we love you. So, yeah. uh, until next time, may you live to see the dawn. dawn. May you live to see the dawn y'all. See everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.